Assalamu alaikum jamian. Welcome again in episode number five of Ask a Doctor podcast. Your host, Dr. Lamisa Bahlekha, with you today. And it's an honor for me to have my next guest, Dr. Huria Kadam. I would like to introduce uh, Dr. Huria, who is actually a consultant uh, surgeon, has an extensive experience in breast cancer and breast cancer surgery. She is also the medical director of Well Women Clinic and also is the founder and the president of the Breast uh, Friends uh, Charity, uh, which is in collaboration with Al Jalila Foundation. I would like to, to all welcome uh, Dr. Ahuria in our podcast today. How are you, Doctor? Alhamdulillah, fine. And hello, everybody. Hi. So it's a pleasure to, uh, to have you today with us. And we are still in pink October. So yes. we would like uh, to uh, go today on talking about uh, breasts and breast tumors. So um, uh, I got a lot of questions um, through the social media and through my Instagram account where they're asking me about what kind of uh, breast tumors would we expect? So if you can tell us more about that. Okay, so the word tumor means swelling in Latin. Mm -hmm. So tumor does not necessarily mean a cancer. So in the breast, um, probably less than 1% of tumors that I see are actually cancers. Most people who have lumps in the breast have um, fibrous lumps, so alif or waram leafy, whatever that we call it, um, or cysts. Um, and neither of these are worrying, neither of these turn into a cancer. And uh, so, yeah, so basically, I think that's an important question because it's good for people to know that if, you know, they feel something in their breast, the majority of the time, it is not a cancer. That's, that's really reassuring, Dr. Ahuria. What actually are the signs that we need to look for if we found um, a lump in the breast and something, a, a sign that will make us worry or t go to the doctor? Okay, so the classical sign uh, of a breast cancer is a painless lump in the breast. So um, uh, a lump that you feel that has no pain. Now it doesn't mean if you have a lump that is painful that it isn't a cancer, and it also doesn't mean that if you have a painless lump, that is definitely a cancer. But most of the time, um, if a woman is presenting to me with a cancer, in other words, she's found the cancer, it's usually a painless lump in her breast. Occasionally, um, we will see women who have blood coming from their nipple. So this is like a discharge. Um, and again, um, just because you have blood coming from your nipple does not mean it is a cancer, but obviously it's an alarming sign and it should be checked by a specialist. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Ahuria. And um, actually, we, we had a talk with uh, Dr. Anihad in episode uh, four, and she, was, uh, she told us all about mammogram and yes. uh, the importance of early diagnosis. And I, I would like to ask my audience who are listening now to actually listen to the uh, mammogram uh, podcast that we had, it's really great. Um, but I want to know what happens next. After let's say um, they've done a mammogram, they found a lump which actually looked suspicious. What is the next step that's gonna happen? If you can tell us more about it. So there are two things. One is, um, 
if something is picked up on a mammogram alone. So this is what we call screen detected disease. So there's no lump to be felt, not by the patient, not by the doctor, but she just goes, presents to have a breast check by doing a mammogram and we see something there. Now that's something, Dr. Nehad has probably uh, already gone through all the different signs that she sees on a mammogram. It can be a mass, it can be uh, like a shadow on the, on the imaging. It can be something like calcification, which looks like little grains of salt on the mammogram. And the next step after that is actually a needle biopsy. Now, if I pull back to say a woman hasn't had a scan, but she feels a lump, this is where we do what's called a triple assessment. So she comes to the doctor. The first part of the triple assessment is the doctor will examine her to see, you know, what does the lump feel like? How big it is? Is it moving around? Is it stuck? The second part of the assessment is imaging. So this is where Dr. Nehad will come in and we do a mammogram as, and sometimes we do ultrasound and sometimes we do MRI. And the third part of the assessment is the needle biopsy. So basically we follow the same pattern, um, whether the patient finds a lump herself or if it's a screen detected lesion, then we would, you know, you've skipped out the first part, but we then go from imaging to needle biopsy. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I'd like to say, you know, probably the most common thing I'm asked about the needle biopsy is that if you put a needle into something that you are somehow going to um, encourage the cells to disperse, that if this is a cancer, you're gonna make it spread. And we don't actually have any evidence to say that is true. Cancers are actually smarter than you and me. If a cancer wants to spread, it's going to spread. It's not going to wait for me to stick a needle into it. But what the needle biopsy does is gives us some of those cells that we can look under the microscope and say, you know what, it's Elia, or no, it's a cancer. Mm -hmm. So it's, it helps in uh, doing the final diagnosis, exactly. I, I would say. And, and maybe that will answer one of the questions that I get from the guests is she said um, she got um, what looked like a benign uh, tumor. However, mm -hmm. they still want to do the uh, inspiration biopsy. biopsy. Exactly. And, and I think, you know, not only will that tell us if it is benign, so it confirms it. So basically when we do the triple assessment, what we like to see is uh, when I examine you, it feels benign. When we scan you, it looks benign on the imaging. And then when we do the needle biopsy, it looks benign under the microscope. And if all three things say the same thing, you actually do not have to have surgery to remove the lump. If one of those or two of those are off, so say it feels benign, but the mammogram says, no, this looks suspicious, or the cells say it looks suspicious, then we take the lump out. So again, the advantage of doing the needle biopsy is we may be able to avoid surgery um, if we can prove that this is a benign lump. Excellent, that's really good because maybe people think all oh, lumps has to be removed, but this is again no. the criteria for that. No. That's really good to know about Doctora. Um, Doctora Horia, I, I had a question uh, from uh, mothers and ladies who are planning to, you know, get pregnant and so on. And the question is, um, we know that um, like breast cancer is related to the breast tissue tumors. So the questions here is, is uh, we've heard that breastfeeding is actually protective um, yeah. from getting breast cancer. So can you tell us how, how does it be protective? 
and um, how does it reduce the risk of getting breast cancer? Okay, so to be honest, we don't know exactly how. We think it has something to do with the hormones of um, our normal uh, hormones that we have uh, every cycle. So we know, for example, that people who have, um, uh, they, have their, they start their periods late and they finish their periods early, that they actually have um, a lower risk than those who start their periods early and or finish their periods late. So in other words, if cumulatively you have more periods in your lifetime, your risk seems to go up. So what happens when you're breastfeeding is you usually your periods stop. Mm -hmm. So that is part of it. We're not really sure how that translates from these hormones to, uh, to the breast tissue, to the actual, why does that actually stop um, the, the cells lining the milk ducts from becoming malignant? That I don't, we do, I don't think we know that. But definitely um, the, uh, breastfeeding, having children, um, that decreases your risk of breast cancer and, but I also want you to know that just because you have breastfed does not mean you will never get breast cancer. I have patients who have breastfed, you know, mashallah, nine, 10 children, and they still have had cancer, but it's epidemiologically, if you take large groups of women who've breastfed and large groups who haven't breastfed, then the ones who haven't breastfed have an increased risk of breast cancer. Oh, that's, that's interesting to know, Doctora. And it also brings me to another question that I got. Um, a lady who actually had her pituitary gland removed and uh, she doesn't get any periods now. Mm. Um, and if she would uh, need to get pregnant, I think she needs to take hormonal supplements to, to get the ovulation kicking. So in a lady like her, would she have a lower risk of getting breast cancer is, or is it similar? Yeah, that's a difficult one. I mean, you would imagine that, you know, if she wasn't taking any extra hormones to, um, to bring her cycle or to have mimic her cycle, that she would actually have a lower risk because she doesn't have her periods. But um, yeah, I don't know if we have enough people who've had their pituitary removed to actually look at that as a, as a group. Mm -hmm. uh, to say, but I, I would imagine it would be a lower risk. Now, mm -hmm. uh, the fact that she's going to take hormones that may have the opposite effect. Mm -hmm. And because we do know that um, uh, uh, well, female hormones, uh, about two thirds of breast cancers actually feed on the female hormones. Uh, and the main ones are estrogen and progesterone. And it kind of is instinctive if you think about that if two thirds of cancers in the breast feed on hormones. And if you take hormones from outside, then you'll be you know, promoting that cancer, which is true. But we also know that estrogen on its own um, is an initiator of cancer. So estrogen is like cigarette smoking. It can actually start a cancer. So I'm, very, I'm not very big on women taking hormones unless they have to, obviously. But I think, um, because we do know from studies on postmenopausal women who take hormone replacement therapy, for example, it does increase your risk of breast cancer. Mm -hmm. Oh, speaking of hormones, 
we feed on them right and yes <laughs> and and you know like all females at one stage in our life there is you know the ocp uh, combined contraceptive pills you have the marina coil you have the implanone and all of these devices and you know for contraception they do have hormones so i believe that there will be some kind of um a risk associated with but yeah. if i would say which one would be the safest um what would you say about that? Well, you know, the way I look at it is not which one is the safest. I, I look at it, first of all, from the point of view is, is this necessary? And what is the balance? In other words, if it is absolutely a disaster to get pregnant right now, then you take the risk of whatever, you know, that the, the, the combined oral contraceptive pill. have. And by the way, it's a very small risk. Mm-hmm. And... So that's how I look at it is that, okay, which is more important? Then when it comes to actually uh, using contraception, I mean, this one, I mean, I actually think the pill is better than say Implanon um, or the Mirena coil. Um, I think the combination has been shown to be better than taking one on its own, but the, um, and also it's easy if you don't like it to stop. Whereas if you have the Implanon, you have to then go and you know, cut it out. Uh, or if you have the injection, you have to wait for it to wear off. And um, so I feel that the, the pill is probably fine. And we have some low dose uh, oral contraceptive pills now. And um, if, as I said, you know, I, what is the balance? Like if, mm-hmm. if you're busy with your life, you're in school, but you're married and you don't really want to get pregnant now, well then take a pill. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's absolutely right. And um, also there is a woman who actually go on the combined uh, or a contraceptive pill for very long, like for more than 15 years and so. Yeah. So yeah. Um, what would you want to advise them? Should they take breaks in between or it doesn't really matter? Um, does it make I any difference? I think it's an individual thing. You know, I'm not a gynecologist, so I really feel like it's something, a, a discussion to have with your gynecologist. I mean, mm-hmm. some women I know do it because um, for different reasons, you know, some women have very heavy periods um, or very painful periods or they just get used to taking it. So they just keep taking And Sometimes I've asked like, why have you been on this for 20 years? And they're like, well, it doesn't bother me. So I take it, you know, but um, so I think, yeah, I think that's a discussion on an individual basis as to uh, why you're taking it and um, for how long you need to take it. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you, doctor. Um, And going back to the breast cancer specifically, so let's say the diagnosis have been done and surgery actually is needed. Um, One of the questions that I got, would a woman be able to uh, breastfeed after getting her tumor out? Is this something possible? Um, Yeah. So... When we, when we do surgery for breast cancer, there are basically two things that we do. One is we remove the cancer and save the breast. And the other is we remove the entire breast. So obviously if we remove the entire breast, it's not possible to breastfeed from that breast, though you have two breasts. So you can mm-hmm. um, always use the other side. And it's the same with the one where we try to save the breast because if we save the breast, then usually we have to give radiation to the residual breast tissue. And that tends to scar the breast tissue. So in my patients who've had breast cancer, who've had surgery, who've then gone on to have babies, um, I always feel there's not much milk coming from the breast that's been radiated. 
So they end up feeding from the other side, which is absolutely fine. Mm -hmm. That's good. That's great. So there is always a, a second option. That's good. Yes. <laughs> And uh, Doctora, and also there is another question with it related to, we know, as you said, that there are the hormonal aspect and also there is the genetic aspect uh, that can cause um, breast cancer and it can run in the families. I believe there is the BRCA1 and BRCA2, yeah. if, I, if I recall. Yeah. Um, and let's say if there is a high uh, genetic um, component, um, I've heard of prophylactic uh, mastectomies. Yeah. That was, they actually remove the breast tissue before the cancer happened. Yeah. So when is this uh, required and uh, how can it affect, you know, the image? Because we are all women and we are concerned of our image. So sure. how to work with that? So, okay. So, I mean, from a genetic point of view, every year we're finding more and more um, mutations or mistakes in the DNA that can lead to an increased risk of breast cancer. So you mentioned the two commonest ones, which is BRCA1 and BRCA2, but there are many other um, mutations that we now know of that can increase your risk of breast and sometimes other cancers like ovarian or colon or skin cancer. And when, if say a patient has a BRCA1 or BRCA2 mutation, so this is a mistake on the DNA that's most likely um, inherited from one of the parents and it will increase your risk of breast cancer to about say 70, 80% in your lifetime, which is pretty high. And for a lot of women who've actually watched someone in the family, you know, if, if we see these families of BRCA, they've seen somebody go through treatment and sometimes not make it. So uh, many times we will uh, advise women to remove their breasts as a preventative thing. So, Nowadays, when we remove a breast, even if it's for cancer or as a prophylaxis, we actually literally remove the breast tissue. We save the skin, we save the nipple. So we make little invisible incisions underneath the breast. And then we go in and we take all the breast tissue out. So you're left with a, a bag of skin with the nipple on it. And then we fill that with whatever. I mean, there's so many things we could fill it at. Usually what we use now is, is like an implant, what we use when women want to get bigger. So we use an implant. We cover that implant with fake skin because when you put an implant in to make your breasts bigger, you actually have, um, you have some, a little bit of cushioning of normal breast tissue between the skin and the implant. Mm -hmm. So, um, but in this case, we are removing the breast tissue. So we're removing the cushion. So if you just put the implant there, it'll be right under the skin and it doesn't feel very nice. So now they have made fake skin, basically, that we put it, it's like a mesh that you put on top of the, um, the silicone implant, and then we put the skin back down. So when you look at yourself, it's still you, sometimes a better you, because we mm -hmm. can lift it up, we can make it bigger, we can make it smaller. Um, it's your skin, it's your nipple, just the filling is different. So that's what we do now uh, when we do a prophylactic surgery. Beautiful, doctor. So that sounds really neat. And uh, I think uh, it's a good option and definitely better than going having the risk and going through chemo and surgery um, exactly. as an option. Exactly. Excellent. Um, and talking here about breast implants, um, because someone who had breast augmentation they can and they have their um, breast tissue they still are risk of cancer as anyone else 
Um, yes. And in the case that they get a breast lump or breast cancer, is there any difficulty when operating on them or treating them or even diagnosing those cases? No, um, so there are, so first of all, with the diagnosis, if a woman has breast implants for um, cosmetic reasons, um, there are special ways that we do the mammogram. There is a way to actually um, get the breast tissue away from the implant and into the mammogram machine. So not everybody knows how to do that, um, mm -hmm. but there are special views that we can do. And many times I feel that it, in some ways it's actually easier to pick up a cancer, certainly by the patient, because um, when, you, when, we put an, when we put the silicone implant in for cosmetic reasons, it goes either behind the breast tissue or under the muscle that's behind that. And so basically the breast tissue is pushed forward and it has a nice base that you can actually feel things better. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it's, it's any reason not to have a, a, a cosmetic uh, augmentation if that's what you want. Um, we can still screen you and we can still operate on you. I mean, many times I have done surgery on women who have implants where we don't have to remove anything but the tumor. Excellent. And you still, you know, you can have your radiation with your implants and everything. Excellent. That's, that's really good to know. Um, and I was wondering, Doctora, that if um, after the, the actual extraction and surgery is done, and I'm sure maybe some will need radio or chemo depending on the stage of the, um, the breast cancer. And let's talk here about the follow-up. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, because let's say someone is cured, but she was asked to do follow-up. What is meant by follow-up? And uh, where does you know tumor markers come in in this follow-up procedure? Yeah, so... I mean, the, 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 the main thing that we do in follow-up, uh, main two things, one is we examine the patient um, just to make sure that, that there aren't any lumps or uh, lymph nodes under the arm that the patient hasn't felt. Um, and then the other thing that we do is we do mammograms every year. So if you have breast tissue, um, even if you've lost one breast, we'll still do it on the other side. So once a year, and um, really the guidelines is for mam mammograms once a year. Now I find oncologists will do other tests because you've been through chemo and all these things, they will check your liver and, and those kind of blood tests and they will do tumor markers. The tumor markers are not sensitive. I mean, we do it because if it's abnormal, then we take it seriously. But if it's normal, it doesn't mean that there's nothing there. Do you know what I mean? So it's, it's, it's not very sensitive. And... Um, so mainly um, when someone's been treated, um, we see them every three months for the first two years and then every six months. And then uh, when you get to five years, we make it annual. Excellent, excellent. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Horia. And um, I think this is the one important thing is the follow-up element uh, because some people, they tend to lose that part. And this is where the relapse happens, I believe. Yeah. Um, Dr. Hauria, it's really a pleasure to have you with us today. And since we are in pink October, it's all about uh, breast cancer, breast cancer awareness. What is one thing that you want to tell all the ladies around um, and, and all the men also um, about yes. um, breast uh, tumors and breast cancer in particular? So what I like to tell people is, is uh, perspective. And, um, you know, we are very emotional when we talk about our breasts, but actually um, 
as women, we're probably more likely to drop dead of a heart attack than to drop dead of breast cancer. And so, and we don't make a big fuss about our heart, but we certainly do about our breast. So I like to tell, and I certainly, when I give talks to younger groups, I tell them, you know, what you need to do from when you're young and growing up is really have a sense of a full body awareness. So not just breast awareness, because I feel sometimes when we get into October and we start talking about breast awareness, we start, it's almost like it's a witch hunt and we have to get it before it gets us, that kind of thing. Whereas I think, you know, your breast is part of your body like everything else is. And it's important to know what your body looks like, what your body feels like, and that if there's any change, you will then be the first one to know. Breast um, checking is part of full body checking. And certainly um, when you get to a certain age, so usually we say 40, I tend to individualize my patients as to when they start um, breast screening using mammograms or x-rays of the breast. But certainly when you get to 40, you should start having screening mammograms. So if you remember what I talked about before was um, so, uh, what we're trying to do is find the cancer before you find it. So we wanna find it where it's picked up on a screening mammogram rather than when you actually feel a lump because that would mean if it is a cancer, it would be in its very early stages and um, much more likely to have a cure. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Ahuria. And uh, yes, we need to take care of our body and listen to our body and listen to the signs yes. and yes. Uh, enjoy life. Life is beautiful. It is, um, alhamdulillah. <laughs> alhamdulillah. And uh, again, I'm really honored to have you on the podcast, uh, Ask a Doctor. And I I'm sure that our audience have benefited a lot and learned a lot. So okay. uh, until we meet again, I wish you all Thank the best. You. Thank you, thank, thank you, you Dr. So Maria. And, thank you. Uh, and with that, we'd like to, uh, we reach to the end of our podcast today and uh, see you in the next podcast. Thank, thank you all. Bye-bye.